The story of Maison Lesage continues in part two. It's really one of ingenuity as well as continual innovation and the Second World War certainly proved that. Maison Lesage is a dynastic embroidery house and although it may not operate under the name Lesage anymore, it does however still go on under brand Chanel. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Cathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and, surprise, surprise, stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. World War II took its toll. There were shortages and rationing. Lesage simply had to make do with what was available. Rayon, when it could be obtained, replaced silk. Thread was difficult to source and sequins couldn't be found because there were no oxen available to produce gelatin. And here again, Lesage shows his ingenuity and versatility by adapting his embroidery to incorporate natural substances such as animal and vegetable fibres, grasses, straw and cereal, even raffia from palm trees and flax from herbs. Let's just take a moment to remember, this was for haute couture embroidery. He used jute from potato sacks, cord and even string. Now that takes courage. And Parisian women used their gift for fashion and style, even though this was a time where they were drawing stocking seams down their bare legs as a low-key form of resistance. It was their way of expressing defiance against the occupying forces of keeping Parisian fashion going. One Scaparelli Lesage collaboration created in 1942 depicts a carriage in a curfew blackout, highlighted with a few strokes of gold and pink, with two lovers kissing, openly defying the Nazis in the name of love. L'amour, l'amour. Dior admitted that he used his legendary February 1947 collection as a means of exercising the use of heavy, dark fabrics, beads and trims due to the shortages of chemical dyes during the war. Society life continued in Paris thanks to the ingenuity of designers, but with the advancement of the Allies, many had to close and by May of 1944, the Germans closed all fashion houses. Fortunately, however, French haute couture was saved from this devastating decree by the Allied invasion. And I'm taking a moment here to re-emphasise the impact of war. 
The aftermath of the French Revolution sparked the whole idea of luxury after such devastation. And that all initially started haute couture. Now, during World War II, French fashion houses were simply trying to stay alive. Shortages continued and there were even hostile reactions to the extravagances of the new look. It was essential to revive and restore traditional French elegance and the pivotal role Paris played. So an exhibition at the Musée d'Arts Décoratives in March 1945 entitled Théâtre de la Mode was created to foster that return. The Chambre Syndicale de la Haute Couture organised a two-year travelling display using miniature doll-like fashion mannequins with plaster faces and wire bodies featuring designs typifying French fashions. This tiny exhibition travelled all around Europe and the United States, not only showcasing the skills of the French ateliers, but also hoping to acquire foreign clients. Nearly 200 of these figurines were dressed by 40 couturiers, 36 dressmakers and 20 hairdressers and although Lesage wasn't mentioned directly, he wasn't a couturier but an embroidery house, his work featured on creations by his clients such as Leilong, Grey, Schiaparelli and Balenciaga. The collaboration between Lesage and Elsa Schiaparelli continued after the war years, though not as closely as before. Elsa had moved into creating perfume and the couturier who made the colour Shocking Pink famous had also helped grow Lesage's reputation. Though the embroidery, uh, through the embroidery and embellishments in her designs. Lesage ventured into textiles, something that hadn't been successful for him previously, but as a means of seeking new outlets, Albert was urged to look into artificial textiles made from cellulose acetate, a synthetic fibre. This allowed him to expand supply and help compensate for the fall in orders brought about by the shortage of embroidery materials. And bolstered by Scaparelli's unfailing support, Lesage was now receiving orders from Balenciaga, Molyneux, Lelong, Balmain and, eventually, Dior. Francois joined Maison Lesage at the age of 17 and was interested in all aspects of the Maison's work, from accounting to dealing with suppliers and reps from textile houses, as well as the creative side of the business, for which he was very well suited. Albert used his son Francois to forge links with other countries, namely America. Francois was introduced to Jean-Louis Bethold, one of the most famous couturiers in Hollywood, known to, uh, simply as Jean-Louis. Remember the stunning black sheath dress worn by Rita Hayworth in the movie Gilda. But he also ran a business dre- uh, dressing celebrities. Who can forget Marilyn Monroe when she sang Happy Birthday to JFK in 1962? 
It was natural for Jean-Louis to use embroidery from one of the most famous Paris ateliers and the success of this collaboration encouraged Francois to approach other studio costume designers such as Adrian, Edith Head, Irene and Ori Kelly. These were big names in Hollywood at the time, but Lesage also came into contact with some of the best-known stars of Hollywood, Jean Tierney, Claudette Colbert, Olivia de Havilland and Lana Turner, telling Le Monde in 2009, I dressed Lana Turner and Ava Gardner. I knew exactly where to put embroidery on Marlena Dietrich, where it was supposed to go. But upon the death of his father, Albert, Francois returned to France to take over the running of the business. But he was young and still had a lot to learn. Competitors were nibbing at his heels and it was Scaparelli who had a profound effect on the young Francois, giving him the idea to develop themes for embroidery collections. She encouraged him to search for the unusual and unexpected, to look for amusing effects and objects. This passage comes directly from Patrick Morey's book, Maison Lesage, Haute Couture Embroidery, published by Thames and Hudson, London in 2020. A book well worth reading. The Lesage Atelier spent one winter eating mussels because Scaparelli wanted to use the shells in her work. History, and especially the history of fashion, is a process of constant renewal. The Atelier went through the same ordeal a few decades later when Christian Lacroix did the same thing as a witty homage. So, like his father before him, Francois innovated by experimenting with cellulose for its contrast of texture, but also incorporated materials and processes that had lain dormant for over three decades. Lesage began to collaborate with Dior, and upon Dior's sudden death with his successor, Yves Saint Laurent, Here's another wonderful passage from Patrick Moore's book on Lesage. The designer, Jacques Farth's aim, was to project a youthful and fresh image, and throughout his career he focused on the idea of young girls in flower with floral motives. In 1950, he showed a lily collection, and his 1953 collection was on a plant theme. Francois Lesage was allowed free reign, creating for him sprigs of fern in coloured glass beads and horsehair foliage embroidered on a tulle ground. Palmer White writes that for one of the extravagant balls that Fath attended with his wife Genevieve, Francois designed an ephemeral dress incorporating fresh asparagus stalks secured between two layers of nylon netting and scattered with rhinestones. It had to be sprayed with water every two hours to keep the plants fresh. I love those stories. They just add a sense of surrealism to this exalted fashion industry. 
Pierre Balmain favoured floral motifs full of historical references and was a faithful Lesage client for over 40 years. Lesage also began working with a designer more his own age, whom he'd met through Scaparelli, Hubert de Givenchy, who opened his own couture house in 1952. Lesage's collaboration with Givenchy only ended when Givenchy retired in 1995. It had lasted even longer than his work with Balmain. In the decade after Dior's death, fashion was fundamentally redefined by economic factors, urbanisation, standardisation, female emancipation and reconstruction. Life simply operated at a different pace and fashion became more accessible and less formal than haute couture. It was a futurist utopia, celebrating progress and new technologies, leading designers to create fashion that was easy to wear, simple yet powerfully dynamic. Francois Lesage describes his philosophy. The art of traditional embroidery consists of employing the same techniques and the same classical materials for the various styles of drawing. The very essence of embroidery for haute couture is to associate techniques and materials that we are not used to seeing combined. That's the secret of creating. New textiles cannot be developed by weaving wool on silk looms or silk on wool looms. Embroidery is renewed by introducing all kinds of elements that are not predestined for embroidery. Feathers, fur, shells, leather, wool, meshes, rock crystals, they can all be integrated now. Our sequence, instead of being positioned one by one, can be pushed into place in packets. To obtain reliefs, bugle beads can be arranged so as to lend depth. What matters is creating a new and always unexpected effect and carrying it out perfectly. Unlike a machine, the hand knows no limits. Inspiration for collections came from a combination of happy chance and relentless discipline. Defining the work of Maison Lesage from one season to the next. Francois loved working with trompe l'oeil and visual puns. And according to Palmer White, Francois maintained that exciting capacity for innovation, mingling unusual materials such as silk thread with straw or cellophane with chenille, feather embroidery beneath tulle or using Scottish plaids and plastics. The successful collaboration with Saint Laurent can be seen in the collaborations in the 1970s. A range of long-sleeved cardigans worked in trompe l'oeil, the Russian collection 1976, the Chinese collection 1977, followed by ones dedicated to Aragon, uh, Apollinaire and Cocteau in 1980. 
Matisse and Ledger in 1981-82 and Braque, culminating in the 1988 series Homage to Artists in which jacket masterpieces and their stunning were embroidered all over with Vincent van Gogh's famous irises and sunflowers, thought to be the most expensive couture pieces in the world, symbolising 600 hours of work. Work was also produced for Jean-Louise Shearer's Indian collection in 1981, rivalling the embroiderers of Madras. The 1980s were notable for the emergence of Pret-a-Porter, or ready-to-wear lines, considerably simpler and much more functional, able to appeal to the tastes of a wider clientele than Paris fashion, yet still offering Francois Lesage unlimited scope for experimentation. Top US designer Calvin Klein visited the Lesage Atelier and, according to Palmer White, was like a child in a pastry shop revelling in the organised chaos of swatches laid all about and drawers overflowing with beads and threads, ordering a mountain of work for his collection to be shown in six weeks. Maison Lesage worked day and night and with a successful showing, Francois decided to show his collection to the aristocracy of New, uh, New York Couture. Bill Blass, Geoffrey Bean, Oscar de la Renta, Caroline Herrera, Mary McFadden and Carolyn Rome. This was his new group of faithful customers. But new designers were also emerging in Paris. Bursting onto the scene in an explosion of shapes and colours was... Christian Lacroix, who established a friendship with his so-called fashion godfather, Francois Lesage, that lasted until Francois's death in uh, 25 years later. Pret-a-Porter, or ready-to-wear, became financially significant around this time, amassing a large turnover and adorned with embroidery formerly reserved for haute couture. Lesage balanced the workload by introducing a new line, a range of accessories and embroidered jewellery, selling cuffs, bracelets, necklaces, earrings, bags, stoles, shawls, belts and chains, many featuring a trompe oil effect using crystals, sequins, antique tiles and 19th century jet beads and rhinestones. Francois was now a recognised designer, partnering with leading couturiers, awarded in 1984 with the Grand Prix de Métiers d'Art and the Medal of the City of Paris, then the Grand Prix de la Création de la Ville de Paris five years later. The Maison also became a, med- a member of the Comité Colbert, bringing together representing and protecting leading luxury French labels. This was a rare honour indeed for the Maison. And what I think is of real interest here is that Francois was truly concerned with the future and preservation of a craft he and his family had been associated with for so long. 
In 1992, he set up a school, École Lesage, alongside the Atelier, becoming an integral part of Maison Lesage. The economic crisis of 1992 hit Lesage hard, along with stiff competition from cheaper workshops in the now international fashion trade. Times were tough. Francois's son, Jean-Francois, initiated a venture in India with three other partners with the aim of bringing together the embroiderers scattered throughout the villages of Tamil Nadu, supplying Paris with embroidery, worked at a fraction of the costs of those of the French ateliers. Maison Lesage represents the struggle of the luxury fashion industry. But even though it's now under the Chanel umbrella, yet any beaded, feathered and embroidered garments on the catwalk are works of Maison Lesage art. Chanel created a subsidiary company called Parafection, dedicated to the preservation of craftsmanship, purchasing 12 ateliers, including Maison Lesage. Old world craftsmanship merges with the future of fashion through innovative design and centuries-old techniques that are still relevant today. Samples stored in the Lesage archive are estimated to represent up to 9 million hours' work. And this is a fundamental part of embroidery history as well as fashion history. Hubert Barrere, appointed by Chanel as Artistic Director of Maison Lesage, said this. Hand embroidery is something emotional. It isn't a kind of technical exhibitionism, and its value doesn't come simply from the hours and hours of meticulous work involved. Above all else, it's something that comes from the soul. It makes you feel something without quite knowing why. And this from Francois himself. I never forget that I am only an embroiderer, a craftsman, and my imagination should be framed in simple, matter-of-fact materials, silks, sequins, stones. But they give birth to a firebird dream that I just want to catch on the tail but that dream cannot be caught. It's always in front, making our life more beautiful. What an amazing influence Francois Lesage was and Maison Lesage still is. And the dynasty continues. Thank goodness. Thank you for your time. This has been such a fascinating episode to research. Haute Couture only began in the mid-1800s and Maison Lesage has been a unique link from then till now. Utterly fascinating. But there's more to come in 2022, so do stay tuned and subscribe. Stitch Safari's now reached over 7,000 downloads and that's all thanks to you.
It's also been mentioned as one of the 20 best embroidery podcasts of 2021 by Wilp magazine and listed in the top five textile industry podcasts as at uh, January 2022 by Feedspot. And I'm extremely grateful. Please leave a message and subscribe to the Stitch Safari podcast. There's just so much more to discover and it's all so fascinating. I do post interesting tidbits on Instagram and Facebook from time to time, as well as book reviews and a blog on the Stitch Safari website. So do head on over. Till the next exciting episode of Stitch Safari and our next inspiring adventure into stitch, embroidery and design. Bye for now.